All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we are giving you a prediction episode. So what does that mean? It means we take off our partisan hats and we put on our strict analytical hats. So we're going to evaluate the evidence that we see in order to try to determine whether or not Trump is practically guaranteed to be the Republican nominee at this point. We've got five points plus a bonus one that we're going to go over on why we think that is, as well as how this campaign could actually potentially, I don't say uh, manifest itself, the various things that could, could arrive during the campaign trail that might be of interest to all of us. We're going to discuss all of that and more on this episode of Making the Argument. Some of you might have noticed that we have a new YouTube channel called Making the Argument. Over the next few weeks, we are making some adjustments, and one of those being live streaming the podcast. Next Tuesday, April 11th, we will officially start live streaming the show, and in the beginning, we will stream both on the Nick Freitas channel and the Making the Argument channel. But eventually, we're going to move everything over to this new channel. We are growing, and the amount of content we want to publish justifies the show having its own channel, and that is really exciting. Now, you might ask, what's going to happen to Nick's channel once we move the podcast over entirely? And we can't just stop publishing on a channel that has built 250,000 subscribers. We have some really exciting videos that we're going to start recording over the next few weeks. And I'm excited to tell you about those very soon. I'll leave a link to the new channel in the description. So please do us a favor. Go subscribe to that channel right now. And let's get back to the show. All righty. So once again... I'm going to reiterate this. We got to go through a lot of different things. We got to try to get into the minds of the people that are running, into the people that are prosecuting Donald Trump, into the people that are going to potentially, you know, uh, vote one way or the other. And so that's what we're doing today. So let's start off with the number one reason why I believe Trump is actually going to get the Republican nomination. And interestingly enough, it might be the very thing that a lot of Democrats were counting on to prevent him from getting the nomination. And that is the indictment on, I guess, what it <laughs> equals out to be potentially, I think, 136 years in prison based off of, of the criminal charges that are, that are being brought in the indictment against Trump. Now, one thing I want to clarify here. And we, we had a whole episode talking specifically about the indictment, the motivations behind it, what it can mean, et cetera. One thing that I think a, a, a majority of people, not just, not just Trump supporters, not just Republicans, a majority of people, I think, have, have been, become convinced that these indictments, the nature of the charges, the, the amount of years in prison they're going after, this is politically motivated. And the reason why they think this is because we can look back on previous presidents, on previous prominent politicians. And, and we can see how they've either done the same thing or very, very similar things, or in many cases, worse things, and never even faced you know, the insinuation that they would be convicted and, and put into jail. All right, so I, I think, and again, I want to hear other people's people, I think that actually the criminal indictment is, is reason number one that Trump is probably going to get the Republican nomination. And, and part of the practical, let, let's take aside for the fact that he will be in the news and, it, and most people are already geared to believe that this is politically motivated. On top of that, it creates a situation where every other prominent Republican, to include the Republicans that could challenge Trump for the nomination, are now placed in a position where they have to be defending President Trump. Because, again, regardless of how you feel about him as a potential presidential candidate, we, again, if you're a Republican, you pretty much acknowledge that, yeah, this is, this is shady. 
This is some shady stuff. And if it's allowed to continue, it creates a very dangerous precedent going forward. Because regardless of what Joy Behar thinks, this is not proving that the law applies equally to everybody. This is proving an assumption a lot of people have that more and more, um, not just the Department of Justice, but even we're looking now at local districts attorneys and things like that are now being weaponized along political lines. So that's my take on it. Any other takes? Um, I, I do think that the indictment thing might be a little bit overstated, but I, I certainly think that it actually helps them. And in fact, this is actually something that a lot of Democrats themselves would admit, like cynically so, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we know that, that this indictment thing is going to help him. And that, in some ways, that's kind of the point, because they, they want him to be the nominee. Democrats Well, I don't think all Democrats do, but I think a lot of them. Oh, I think the over, over well, I'd say 80 to 90% of them want him to be the nominee because they're convinced that he's the easier candidate to beat. Yeah. Um, which is really cynical if you think about it, because the same party that has spent, what, seven years now telling us that Donald Trump is a fascist dictator is like openly rooting for him to win the GOP nomination. Something doesn't really seem right. <laughs> well, and, there. They, and they thought this before, right? Like this is not the first time Democrats have put have bet that if Trump's the nominee, they win the election. Hillary absolutely believed that. Oh, 100%, it could backfire. 100%. And it backfired then. And it really could backfire now because let's face it. If Joe Biden is their nominee, which the betting odds suggest that he will be right. If, if Biden is the nominee, that's a matchup that I don't think favors Democrats. Well, Mm-mm. Um, any matchup against Joe Biden, I don't think favors the, the Democrats well. Um, but I, I do think, again, the reason why I think the indictment, and, and Christian, I might disagree on this, but the reason why I think the indictment is is actually one of the primary linchpins is, again, not just because it exposes the whole idea of this narrative of, of weaponizing law enforcement or the legal system against your political opponents, but also because Donald Trump, in, in the midst of this indictment, is trashing Ron DeSantis trashing Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis is saying nice things about Trump and is talking about how he, he, you know, might not even, he might not have Florida law enforcement comply with, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the extradition, extradition and, and things like that, which again, they don't technically have to legally, but think about that for a second. We, we have a dynamic so strange here to where Trump is getting ind- uh, indicted He's trashing his political opponent and his political opponent is actually defending him. I, I don't see another scenario where that takes place. Like this is a very, very unique scenario. And that's, that's why I think it, it plays a, a heavier factor than maybe it typically would. Well, I, it, there, there is evidence in the betting markets and in the limited polling that we have to suggest that, yeah, this, this is going to help Trump. I've actually brought up the, um, the election betting odds site um, this is something that John Stossel um, helps set up, and he promotes it usually when he talks about, you know, uh, uh, election outcomes. And what we saw shortly after the midterms was that DeSantis's odds skyrocketed. Obviously, he won in a landslide in Florida, yeah. and and his chances went up just just you know through the roof. In fact, the betting markets, if we look at the the um, odds over time. We see that right after DeSantis on this chart is green and or, uh, orange is, is Trump. I, yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> I pick the colors not honestly. Yeah. The colors um, uh, for those that are listening to us rather than watching us, what we saw in the betting markets, these are people that are putting money behind it. Yeah. They thought that at one point DeSantis had an over 50% chance in a wide field of potential candidates. And I do agree with you, Nick, that it's really a two-man race. I don't yeah. care if there's 10 people well, running. Well, the betting odds suggested to. It's mean, a two-man race. Yeah. But... Um, 
Anyway, the betting markets at one point gave DeSantis over 50% odds of winning the nomination, which is a lot if you think about it. Um, those have collapsed now to 28%. And Trump has gone from having barely 20% odds right after the midterms to now having almost a 56% chance of getting the nomination. So it's been a complete 180 since late December yeah. of last year. And But the thing is, is that you've seen this trend actually the last couple months where Trump's odds have gone up. So I think that the indictment is more icing on the cake rather than the reason that Trump is likely to get the nomination. Oh, no, that I think that's totally fair. He, he was already doing really, really well in not only the betting markets, but in a lot of like these, these groups that do like polls of conservative voters and Republican primary voters. Why, and, why are the betting markets relevant? Why should we look at this and, and think to ourselves that this has a correlation to what's going on? That's a great question because the betting markets were very wrong in 2020. Yeah. Or at, well, and they were very wrong in 2022, but they were more accurate than the polls were. Yeah. That, that's an important thing. Again, we're not saying if the betting market says this, this is what's going to happen. Right. What we are saying is it is an interesting form of analysis because it, it's it's very difficult to remove political bias from a lot of the analysis that is conducted out I there. See. Right. There's there's very few organizations that I, I think that look at this as objectively as possible, although there are some and there's some that do a better job than others. When you add people betting their own money, especially you know, people, that are like, there, there's different skin in the game. Um, and so you will have somebody that will vote one way, but bet another if they want to make money off of this. Now that's not to say that betting markets can also be manipulated or, or that betting markets can't, you know, run into similar problems. But as Christian said, everybody out there looking at polling, right? If, well, if you think polling is going to give you some degree of accuracy or some indication of what's going on, well, betting markets are actually doing a little bit better than the polls have. Uh, actually to, to, to add just one more thing to that. Polling in this country has been broken since 2016, yeah. and it, it actually got worse in 20, um, 2020 and in some ways 2022. So we have this like crisis within the polling industry right now where I, I, repeatedly, twice now, Trump has defied the polls. One, so much so that he won the presidency, yeah. and the other one, he was expected to be blown out in a landslide, and he almost pulled it off. And and then likewise, a lot of the polls were showing a red wave in twenty twenty. What did the betting market say happen. in twenty twenty? Oh, they. I mean, they were saying that it, he was going. Every single competitive state was going to vote for Biden. Like like, Ohio, yeah. Texas was in play. Florida was going to go blue. North Carolina. These were all states that Trump ended up winning, and yeah. and he almost won the upper Midwestern states like Michigan and Wisconsin that well, would have given him the victory. It's also important to understand that the betting markets are influenced by the polling. Sure. Right. Yes. So this is not like two completely isolated groups. It's just that the thing to keep in mind is that when, when you're answering a question on the poll or whatnot, you, there's not a lot of skin in the game. It depends a lot. When you're betting your own money, there's different skin. All right, so let's go. Nick, There's after the indictment, there's a lot of Republicans that have come to Trump's support. What do you make of that? Oh, I, well, I, again, I think this is I think this is twofold. So this, this is kind of an interesting psychological way to look at this. So let's say that you're a, a DeSantis fan, or let's say you're a Mike Pompeo fan or Nicola, whatever it is. Trump right now is again being, being taken before like a, a banana Republic style court where it's like, we're going to go after you. Not because we really think you should do 136 years in prison. We're going after you because we don't like you and we're going to use whatever mechanisms that we can to do it. And Oh, by the way, we've been doing this for like eight years or seven years now. Sure. Right. And so if you're one of those people that is maybe more sympathetic to one of the other candidates, you still feel that what is going on to Trump is is wrong and is bad. And you're going to feel some sort of obligation to support him in it. If you're someone that was on the fence between these candidates and now the guy that you might have had respect for, you might have liked him, you might have voted for him, but you might have been willing to consider a different candidate. Well, now 
the Dems are going after him, right? And so, oh, that's the one they're afraid of. That's the one that they're trying to, that's the one they're trying to crush because they, they cannot bear to have that guy be the, the challenger. It, there's, there's a natural sympathy that arises from that. So unless you were somebody that just was, was totally disgusted with Trump and didn't like him in the first place, um, you're the only one cheering about this. Everyone else is feeling a degree of sympathy for what he's going through right now and a, a degree of curiosity on why are they trying so hard to beat him? On the other side of that coin, same coin, is the psychological effect that this has on the Democrats as well, because they might have been, you know, moderates and, and independents who maybe didn't like Trump might have kind of stayed out of it because they um, they really don't care about Biden. He he's he's an embarrassment. Yeah. And so they might have been kind of cooled. They, they might not have really voted or or whatever that might be. But the interesting point is that this has been a drumbeat since 2015 when yeah. he started running. Um, that he's a crook, he's, you know, does criminal activity, all these things, and they've just brought paraded all these different accusations at him through this whole thing, Russia collusion, and just all of those different things. And one by one, most of these things have been debunked. In yeah. fact, it, it, it has even shown that the left is the one that was perpetrating the very things they said he was perpetrating. And so... What I feel like this does on the other side is that it reignites the idea that he's a crook and that he needs to be held accountable and they're going to do the whole that whole drumbeat again um, in order because a lot of these Democrats and and folks on the left, they even though these things have been debunked, they still really believe it was oh, true. Absolutely. And absolutely. and so they he have got not, away with it. Yeah, yeah, they have not let go of that. And so in their mind, it's going to be kind of like Al Capone getting hit on tax evasion. We couldn't yeah. get him on these other really bad ones. So we're gonna get him on tax evasion. Yeah. So that is, I think, the mindset we are competing with on the other side. And so what this is going to do is get them going again to try to to try yeah. to go up against Trump any way they can. Yeah. So that that's the first point, the whole indictment and the effects that it has. Again, I think it overwhelmingly works in Trump's favor to get the nomination. Point two, um, if you're a Trump supporter, you want this matchup. You want this rematch, right? You, you want, you don't even want the Democrats to find a different candidate. You want Biden versus Trump take two. Yep. Right. And, and I look, and, and the reason for this is, is I think, twofold. One, it's because it's this whole idea that, you know, okay, Biden was bad before, but now after everything that has happened, you're still going to vote for Biden. Really, you hate Trump so much that you're still going to vote for Biden, despite the fact that he's been a walking train wreck as president and, and, and whatnot, right? That's, that's the, if you're a Trump supporter, that's your, that's your mindset. And this is the only opportunity it has to happen. Like I, I, again, if we look at the psychology of this, I think this is really important, both for certain Republicans and for certain Democrats, right? For certain Republicans, it's the, we're going to prove that you never should have been president, that you didn't actually win, that, you know, in a fair matchup, you know, Trump wins this thing, right? That's, that's the, and if it doesn't happen now, it never happens. Why is that? Because they're too old. 
Like Trump's not going to run again in four years. Biden isn't going to be the guy in another four years. There's one chance for Biden and Trump to have a rematch, and it's this cycle. And if it doesn't happen now, it is never going to happen. So if, and there will always be something that will be irritating about that to both sides. Like for Biden supporters, I think, or for Democrats in general, people that hate Trump, they like the idea of Trump losing again right. to Biden. And so they want to see the matchup too. And and part of one of the themes that you're going to see among all these points is that when you have powerful elements within both sides that want to see something happen, it increases the probability that you're going to see it happen. If Trump was younger, would he have another opportunity? Not against Biden, because Biden yeah, not against Biden. Biden won't be running again. It, even if Biden it well certainly if Biden won, he would be ineligible to run again, mm -hmm. right? Right. And even yeah. if Biden lost, he's too old. Yeah. And, and I mean, it was kind of a miracle that he won the nomination in the first place. He only won the nomination because the Democrats looked at the rest of the field and was like, none of these people could probably take him on. Yeah. We need to nominate him, even though he has a bunch of weaknesses. So it, it, uh, Nick is right that like. If there is going to be a rematch, it will be in 2024. It won't be in 2028. It, it, it'll be both of these men have one more race in them. Yep. And that's it. That's there, it. there is no more political future for I, either of sure them. Biden win or lose. has it in him, but he's still going <laughs> to attempt to run. If he does, yeah. it's this one. There's nothing else. Same thing for Trump. There's if, only going to be this one. And if you stick around to the end, we're actually going to address the point you just brought up. However, right now we're, we're operating off the assumption that Biden will be the nominee. But again, this is the only time, this is the only moment in history that, that again, many people on both sides feel will be like redemptive. And I also think that the Democrats also want this rematch. And one of the reasons I think so is because um, with the whole insurrectionist thing, it's, have you ever seen the meme where it's the guy like poking the thing with the stick and being like, do this. Come on, do an insurrection. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I think that the left really wants is for all of us to lose our crap again and just go ballistic so that they can point the finger and be like, see these crazy see, I, people. I don't think they're, that that would happen like it did in 2020 today. I don't think so too. I, I agree because I also don't think that it was as bad as they made it out to be in 2020. I mean, they really blew that out of well, the Well, there's did. people wait, being released from prison right now. Wait, wait. You don't think that if Trump loses that the reaction will be similar to what we saw I'm not going to make a prediction on what's going to happen next year, but I don't think that the intensity of the situation would be as high if he lost again. Well, I don't I don't think they're, they're even trying to make this an aftermath of the election. I think they're doing the indictment in order to try to like prod the crazies out and and get right. us all to start acting triggered and crazy. Yeah. There, I mean, there's there's a re there's a reason why, you know, um Marjorie Taylor Greene was coming out and saying, like, look, we don't need to be out there protesting. He's going to beat this. This is stupid. This is all political. And and, it, and it's part two because, look, within any political party, there's always an element, right, that, that could go off the rails. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? And and do I, think, do I think that there's Democrats that want to try to encourage that? Yes. Do I think it's the norm? No, absolutely not. But I do think they want to try to encourage it because they believe that's who we all are. And you voted for useful... Trump, that's you. It's 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 written on your soul. I, I wanna... And it's also a useful strategy for, for a campaign that is really trying to get that swath in the middle to swing their direction. Yeah. So if you can get the other side to start acting completely crazy... And yeah. have a massive, you know, blowout that goes, you know, worldwide in the news you can or whatever. Paint the entire you can paint the whole, all of it that way. And then you've got that swath in the middle that decides every single election yeah. coming your way again. Yeah. And that's what they're, that's what they want to do. 
I, I want to bring up the the point that Hamilton brought up earlier yeah. because I'm actually going to push back a little bit on that. I, I, I totally disagree with the idea that if Trump ran and then lo- got the nomination and then lost again in 2024, that the reaction well, would be me- less than than the reaction we saw within conservative circles when he lost in 2020. I feel like that 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 our side would be just as furious because a lot of people will probably feel like it was stolen again. A lot of people would probably feel like that you know the country's falling apart at the scene. I mean, we're look at look at the rhetoric that we're seeing both sides resort to increasingly. Like Americans increasingly just hate each other. I don't think that it, that things are going to get any better on that front. I mean, then again, I'm like super black pilled at this point when it <laughs> when it comes to this type of stuff. And yeah. I, I just look around and I feel like that. No, I, I think regardless of win or lose, I think the reaction on either side is actually going to be worse than it was in 2020. But I think that part of the reason for that is because our politics have gotten so cynical, right? And what I mean by that is, is look at, for example, how so many of these conservative grifters on the internet have treated Ron DeSantis lately. Oh yeah. Right. They, they have a goal in mind. A lot of them are getting paid. I might point out Mm -hmm. they've got a goal in mind and that goal in mind is I'm getting a paycheck from somebody that's supporting Trump, either a super PAC or some third party group, whatever. Some cases it might even be the campaign itself, but they're getting paid somehow. And their goal is I'm going to collect a paycheck. And that means destroy this guy on, on Twitter or on YouTube or whatever it is. And likewise on the left, Nate Silver, of all people, actually just pointed this out recently. There's a tweet from Nate Silver that is, is I think, just encapsulates like the direction that we're going in terms of politics. And he says, some folks got mad at me a few weeks ago when I mentioned that certain high-ranking Democrats seem to be rooting for Trump in the GOP primary. But now there's reporting that high-ranking Democrats are openly rooting for Trump. <laughs> and then this one guy quote tweeted him and said, of course Nate's right here. This has been obvious for a long time. Yeah. The cynicism is so open and blatant that I'm almost impressed. A reminder that few people actually think Trump will transform the U.S. into a fascist state. And no one actually thinks Trump is equivalent to Hitler. What, what I find so just astonishing is that the same people that have just been parroting that you know Trump is a unique threat to our democracy and yeah. that he's a fascist dictator are the same people that are now like openly rooting for him to win the nomination. Well, which one is it? Is he yeah. a fascist dictator that's a unique threat to our democracy or, oh, do you actually think that he would be a benefit for you to win? Here's what I mean by this. What I mean is, is that our, our political situation has gotten to a point where it's a zero-sum, purely Machiavellian game, right? I win, you lose, I impose my will on you, and you just take it. Yeah. And that's what everybody's going to now. And part of me feels like that people that are willing to play those type of games just do anything that it takes to win, anything. There is no objection, moral or legal or political or otherwise, that that you know stands in the way for me doing what needs to be done in order to win. And increasingly, I feel like the Democrats for years have been operating under that principle. And I feel like increasingly Republicans are starting to come around and see and and come to the conclusion that, oh, we need to do the exact same thing. And I think within the Republican field, Trump is more willing to do that than DeSantis. And whoever's willing to just play as dirty as possible to win is more likely to win. Well, that that moves us on to point three. And and, and point three is this. I think when when you... When you analyze, and it kind of you, you already articulated what the point is, and that is the nature of campaigning today and what works. Now, yeah. I, I will tell you right now, as someone that has 
ran campaigns, that has won, that has lost. Um, there, there are certain things that I was comfortable with and certain things I was not comfortable with. Like for instance, I don't like the name stuff. Like, Oh, we're going to call that. We're going to attach this name to this particular candidate. I have always hated it. I refuse to do it. I will not do it. Um, but there, there's an argument to be made that that sort of campaigning can be highly effective because what it is, is that you are branding or marketing your opponent yeah. in a certain way that is so difficult for them to avoid. And then the moment they have to address it, you've got them responding to you as opposed to talking about what they want. Now, here's what I will say about Trump as a candidate. And, and look, analytical hat on. Trump changed the way a lot of candidates campaign. I mean, he, he just did. There's no denying this. He, he, was, he was much more blunt. He was much more uh, abrasive in his rhetoric. And there was a lot of Republicans that I, I think honestly were like, it's about time. We're tired of getting, we're tired of constantly getting called that we're mean, horrible, evil bigots. And our response is, well, you know, look, we all understand that there's differences of opinion. No, hit him back. Right. And Trump did it right in. I mean, Trump did it. Now, here's the other thing I would say. You know, for a long time, there was this argument, Reagan's 11th commandment, right? Thou shall not speak ill of a fellow Republican. Now, nobody ever follows that to, to like, the you know, tea. absolutely, yeah. right? Nobody ever follows it. But there was generally this idea of, hey, we're, we're going to be, you know, at least careful because we all understand that we're going to all have to play nice at the other end of the nominating contest. Trump did not play by those rules at all. Now, here's what I'll say. He took it to a degree, and, and I'm going to give two examples of this. Uh, actually, three examples. One is the the Rand Paul and you know Ted Cruz, right? Those are two examples. The other is John Kasich, right? So when when Trump was running for the nomination, Trump hammered Rand Paul and Ted Cruz on things that if you've been following politics for a while and you know Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, you're looking at them going. What are you talking about? How are you going to try to t convince me that Ted Cruz or Rand Paul are liberals or they're but he, secret? He wasn't trying to convince the people that have been po following politics. No, no, no. For he was trying time. to convince everybody. They, they're just establishment hacks, like Rand That's Paul. Such a good point. It, you're right. You That's are, such a good point. And that, yeah, reiterate that. What Trump was trying to do was not convince the people that have been involved with politics for years, that yeah. have been following Ted Cruz and what he's been doing in the Senate, what Rand Paul has been doing, because both of these people have obviously you know prioritized their constitutional positions yeah. in the senate and we wouldn't be convinced by that yeah. because we have a track record to look at but there are those people who don't watch the news every night that that don't have their social media feeds filled with what any of these people are doing and trump can convince people who yeah. are not involved in the political machine that these things are true well and i, and he, I was he didn't win I, I want to summarize this. He didn't win by convincing the base. Yeah. He won by expanding the base. No, he did. And, and bringing it, that, in people that had not been diehard Republicans yeah. for 30 years yeah. that had been following the careers of people like Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. Well, he it, brought in new people and vote, and they voted for him and him alone. Well, here's, yeah. the other, here's the other part that I think is important about that. And I think it's a very important distinction. I'm really glad you brought that up. Because the other part about it is, is Trump didn't bring in, and in a lot of these cases, it's not like he brought in new Republicans he brought in Trump supporters, mm -hmm. right? Which was critical to him winning the election. Now, what it did to a lot of us that have been involved in this for a long time, especially if we like Rand Paul or we like Ted Cruz, was we're like, wait a second. No, 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 no. You don't get to show up and trash our guy that's been actually standing. Like it made, it made me mad. I'm going to be honest. It made me mad because I'm like, no, I know Rand Paul personally. And, and what you're saying about him is not accurate, right? So, but 
when Trump got the nomination, I voted for Trump because at the end, I, I understand that we still wanted to win this. And as mad as I was about how we might've campaigned against one of my opponents, it wasn't going to cause me to completely say, well, screw this. I'm not, I'm not voting for the guy. Right. Whereas there are a lot of Trump supporters that they will do that. They will say, nope, it's not my guy that I'm not playing because he's the only reason I got involved in the game in the first place. Nick, I have a question. Is it possible to walk that line well? Okay, here's here's what I would say. And and this this gets in, and this is where this is the main point that I want to make. Campaigning is now a straight fight. You're gonna it's it's you win or you lose. And and the whole like, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Yep, nobody believes that anymore. Right? Now, I, I will say this. I still kind of do. <laughs> I, I, I still do. I, I do think that there are, I, I do think that there are costs to winning certain ways um, that in the long run have very, very adverse effects. But I will tell you right now, I am in, I am in the huge minority with respect yeah. to thinking that. Yeah. In fact, some people say, oh, that makes you weak. I don't care what you say about me because I've been in this fight for a long time. Um, but I, I do think, you know, honor is very important to me. And it will continue to be so, and I will make zero apologies for yeah. it. However, I do also understand that when there there are certain people, when you look at this as a as a zero sum game of you either win or you lose, and you can't do any of the good things if you lose, right? Trump, I think, has a as an ability to say, okay, if this is the game, then I'm going to fight it, and I'm going to fight it, you know, no holds barred until I win. Now, here's the difference that I made between like Rand Paul, Ted Cruz versus John Kasich. When Trump won, you go look at some of the closest relationships he had with members of the Senate. Who was it? It was Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. And I think that's for two reasons. I think one, it's because at the end of the day, when Trump got when Trump became president and he started to govern, he actually found himself in a lot more alignment with the Ted Cruz and and Rand Paul wing of the party, which was we don't want to start a bunch of new wars. We want fewer regulations. We want less taxes. We want less. he actually Trump did a really good job of governing that way, and he found that his allies were not cronyist Republicans; they were the same liberty and conservative Republicans that he had kind of trashed because they were his political opponents. It was a different stage right. of the fight. I also think Rand Paul and Ted Cruz were willing to lay down their swords and yeah, get to work. I agree. Yeah, the I agree. other the other aspect of that too is that all the establishment just was ready to thwart everything Trump yeah. was going to try to do. And well, and John Kasich was a perfect example right. of this. John Kasich didn't play nice after Trump got the nomination. John Kasich so went there was to a the new DNC yeah. and endorsed Joe Biden in 2020. Yeah. He gave a speech to the DNC, yeah. former governor of Ohio, yeah. that ran for the Republican nominee. That guy's dead to me politically. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and, and that was, but here's here's the point. On This all goes back to why is why do I think Trump is going to get the nomination? Okay, if we look at an environment where Trump is willing to have the street fight, he's willing to have the street fight, and he's willing to go after his opponents, and he's willing to play nice with them after they've won and after we're all on the same team again. Okay, but you need to understand, whatever you've done before this, whatever you might do afterwards, whatever, in this moment right now, Trump sees you as the guy that's standing in between him and the Republican nomination, and he will bulldoze you. And he will bulldoze you with whatever he can. Yeah. And, and if you... It, 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 he's a street fighter. That's what it, that's what it comes down to. And the stuff that he's saying about DeSantis right now, again, as someone that is immersed in this, cause I have to be, I'm an elected official. I, I I'm involved in this. I look at the stuff he's saying about DeSantis and I'm like, that's absurd. Like you, you can't honestly believe that DeSantis is nothing more than a mid tier Republican governor. And you know what, you know what conclusion I've come to? He doesn't believe that, but 
Right now, DeSantis is his enemy, yeah. and that's all that matters. He, he needs to make low-information voters believe that is what it is. It, 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 the bottom line is he's standing in the way, and as long as he's standing in the way, and this is how I know this, because if DeSantis said tomorrow, you know what, I'm not running this time, um, you know, and, and Trump should be our nominee. DeSantis would immediately go from being a mid-tier, mediocre Republican oh, governor, to the, governor to the best the governor in American history. And we all know it. And it may be cynical for me to say that, but I got my analytical hat on right now, and I believe that's the truth. I agree. I believe that's the truth. I totally that, That's so important to understand. Yeah, Trump knows Trump is fighting for, for what he believes is his absolute life in this Republican nominating contest. If you're in the way, you're going to get run over. And if you get on board, you, you're going to be praised to the, to the heavens. So now comes the part where Nick and I fight. Because so this is we go into, into <laughs> yeah, point four. I, I believe I saw the script ahead of time, and I know yeah. this is the one that, that Nick and I are going to have the biggest disagreement on. Here's point four. Lay, lay the groundwork for us. Okay, so point three is campaigning is a street fight. Donald Trump knows how to street fight better than anybody else. Point four is the only Republican challenger who has a chance. Like, sorry for all of you who love Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley and all like that. The only one that has a chance is Ron DeSantis. DeSantis can afford to wait. But he can't afford to come in second against Trump. I don't well, know. I don't I, know that he can afford to wait. I think he if he doesn't, can. oh, I think if he doesn't wait, he's going to be run through the Trump grinder, and there will be no hope for yeah. anything future for him I, if he doesn't. Because there's a whole I, bunch I, I of Trump supporters that will never vote for DeSantis if they see DeSantis as the. Because in order for DeSantis to win the nomination, he's going to have to. He's probably. I don't like to say. He's probably going to have to get dirty against Trump. Right. And Trump supporters will never forgive him. They'll for never that. forgive him. Never. Even if Trump comes in later on and endorses the nominee, the all of his supporters that really are focused on being Trump mm -hmm. followers. They are going to have a beef with him, even when the president, when Trump no longer has a beef with the person. I, I think it's the exact opposite of what Nick said, and I completely agree. Can with I ask Hamilton. a quick question first? Go ahead. It seems like to me that every every good thing that DeSantis has done in the state of Florida over the past year, year yep. and a half, two years, has been fantastic. But I also think that they have handled those scenarios very well, knowing that there was a potential presidential run coming, and. I believe DeSantis has a ridiculous amount of momentum, may not may not be enough to get past Trump, but it's hard to keep that momentum going yes. for another five, six yeah, years. There will be another new... This is the point of, of, of why I said earlier that I'm going to disagree heavily with Nick because, brother, we know this. You come along, you get elected, you do some good things, you go to the state legislature, you're the governor, whatever it is, you're the senator, people pay attention to you for a while, you're 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 you rack up some wins, some some, you know, big policy positions or you give some speeches, they get a lot of views. But then guess what? Somebody else nice and shiny comes along three years later and suddenly uh, I, they're the new thing that everybody wants to pay attention to and everybody's talking yeah. about and there's, that's where all the buzz is. The bright and shiny they're the old the, news. The fact of the matter is that DeSantis has handled all of these situations well. He's done the right thing and set himself up to run for president. There aren't politicians in America that have threaded that needle as well as he has. I'm not, just, I'm not go, arguing going with any, back to the, I'm not arguing with anything you just said. I'm about to argue with a lot okay. of stuff he just said. Uh, allow me to finish the the, the yeah. position first. Here's what I'm trying to argue. I, I I I have the opinion that he can afford to come in second. He cannot afford to pass on a run, which is the exact opposite of what you said. And here's the reason why. The reason why is because when I look back at history and I see people that were a governor and had racked up a bunch of policy wins and had a bunch of people talking about them and had a lot of fame and had a lot of, of public attention 
far more than a typical governor gets. How, how much attention is given to the governor of Idaho? I can't even tell you who the governor Idaho's of Idaho is. a great is. state, and they do great things, and nobody knows who he is. I can't even tell you who the governor of Idaho is, right? It's very rare for a governor to get nationwide recognition, right? And to uh, Hamilton's point about though. momentum, hang, hang on one second, Tina. To Hamilton's point about momentum, when you have the momentum, you need to go with it. If you if you push off and you say, well, I'm just going to run next time, you know what you suffer? You suffer Chris Christie syndrome. Chris Christie had all the momentum. He had all the attention. He had nationwide fame. He had won in a blue state. And people said, you need to run for president in 2012. We need you. I remember somebody asking him, we need you. And he chose not to run. And instead, he ran four years later. And that guy was a loser when he ran four years right. later. Yeah, but he that's went because nowhere. there was a big old storm. And he went arm in arm with Obama all over the place. Right. And our people were like, how dare you? Not to mention the fact that Chris Christie, it's not like Chris Christie was some paragon of conservative values. Oh, of course yeah, that's not. True. Right? So this but is we've the, already established this doesn't really matter, okay, right? But, but, but there's well, a lot of other factors, let, let, and you let can't me, just, let it's me, a causation correlation Let me paint a scenario here. here. Let's say that DeSantis does not run this cycle, and in four, three years, the economy has fallen it's terrible, and Florida is not the state it once was economically, um, and their state legislature isn't as conservative. What... Does DeSantis have the same opportunity? No, no. But the, the point is, is that if he can't win this time, so everything you just mentioned doesn't help him win this time, and it wouldn't help him win next time, right? This is not a question. You guys keep talking about this as if this is some sort of like ideal situation. It isn't, right? De DeSantis, I, do I believe DeSantis would make a good president? Yes, I would. I, I think overall, comparatively, he would be, would, would he be my number one choice for president out of all American political figures? No. Agreed. Right, but... Do I think he is he in one of my top tier? of Yes, he is. Now, here's what I'll say. Yeah, if you come up with a scenario where everything goes to crap in two years, well, then, yeah, no, he's, he's in trouble. But he's in trouble right now. The difference is, is that if he runs right now, he has to run against the biggest campaigning street fighter the Republican Party has ever produced with a loyal following that will never forgive him for it. Never forgive him for it. Now, the other thing that you need to keep in mind is the economy falling apart. Economy falling apart is not a thing where it, it, it necessarily affects everybody the exact same way. Right. If you have bad governance in one place and you have really good governance in another place, true. that can drastically change the way the economy functions. Not to mention the fact that there are certain, one thing that Trump said, that there are certain built-in advantages for Florida does have to do with things like weather, ports, yeah. tourism. Okay, but that can also be adversely affected by bad governance. So the point is, is that I, I'm I'm not discounting what you or Christian are like. I'm not discounting what you say about no. you never know what's going to happen in two years, and he's got the momentum now. I'm not discounting what Christian says about about like historically, you got to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. Okay, but we do have examples, right? Now Christian will point out that those people actually run, lost the nomination, and ran again. Right, people like Nick Richard Nixon, mm -hmm. uh, Ronald Reagan is perhaps the 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 closest example of someone that was governor. Uh, you know, he advocated for Barry Goldwater. He was governor of California. He lost the nomination to Gerald Ford. He came back and and won it in 1980. You know, the whole and even then that was a that was a contested convention. You know, it was it was he had to beat H W for yeah, it. He had to beat H W for it. So so the the point that I'm trying to make is is that 
DeSantis will essentially have what is it two more years as as governor? He would be leaving. He would be leaving off halfway well, through. He would be leaving office in the after the midterms of whoever gets inaugurated okay. next. So in twenty twenty January so, twenty twenty seven. So basically, there would leaves. be. So do do I think Florida is going to experience some sort of massive you know economic catastrophe? When that, do I think? Let me put it this way: Do I think DeSantis could could leave Florida on a high note as governor? Yes, I do. Um, do I think that two thing two years is a long time in political history? It absolutely is, unless you announce right off the bat. Because let's remember, the presidential election year starts year right after that midterm. Right. That's when it starts. Right. So he's actively campaigning now on what he did, all the good things he did. Right. Not on what's happening in Florida when he's not governor. He's he's campaigning all the things that he did. And do I think that Florida will continue to do good for the next? Two? Yes, I do. So my point is, is that it, when I look at the the potential scenarios, he's got momentum now, but clearly it's not as good as we thought it was when he's trailing 28% to Trump's 55% in the betting markets on him winning the nomination. And then we all know, nobody disputes that if he does run against Trump, there will be a bitterness within the Republican Party, especially among Trump supporters, that will probably never go away for DeSantis, Right. And, and then, again, now, if DeSantis won the nomination, that wouldn't matter. But I don't know that he could win it from Trump at this point. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the only reason why I say is that when I say De- DeSantis can afford to wait, I, I would hope that all of us would at least agree to varying degrees of certainty or to varying degrees of probability, I should say. DeSantis is young enough, yeah. mm-hmm. right, that to where if, if he has to run again— he, he, he potentially could, although maybe it would be, maybe the situation would be better. Maybe it would be worse. You probably think it would be significantly worse. I don't. Trump can't. Trump can't. He's, this is his only chance. He's got to do it this time. Mm-hmm. I think DeSantis can afford to win. Yeah, and not only that, but if he does it now, he goes through the meat grinder. Trump's people hate him forever. He, they will never forgive him. However, if he pulls back now and says, I'm not running, Trump's people will love him for it, yeah. and they will then become big fans of DeSantis afterwards. I just, I, I, I've seen it play out before. Again, Jeb Bush is another example, right? He was governor of Florida. He left office in 2007, and then he waited to run until 2016. Now, that's an extreme case. He had waited yeah, nine years. I don't think yeah, we but he was one that. of the Bush My dynasty, point, and like we were all done with the Bushes. I get it. You can come up with, 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 with you know, every single case that I can throw out, you can come up with an example. Oh, well, Christie wasn't conservative enough, or Jeb Bush was part of the Bush dynasty. The point is, they are is all that factors. there is a long-running history with one notable exception, Ronald Reagan. No, it's not one notable exception. Name me another governor. That oh, it's, was so encouraged it to run. It has to be a governor. It doesn't yes, have to be a governor. That, uh, you're, you're missing my point here, Nick. Name me a governor, with the exception of Ronald Reagan, that was encouraged to run, had all the momentum behind him, chose to forego on that run until the next cycle, and then somehow still managed to get the nomination. Almost every single I, time, second, I don't even they know. lose when they try to run too late. They have the same problem where they don't throw their hat in the ring when they should have, and they waited too late. It's the same problem that Chris Christie had. It's the same problem that Jeb Bush had. And quite frankly, it's also the same problem that Elizabeth Warren had when she should have run in 2016, and instead she waited until 2020 well, when senator, she was old governor, so there, My, my uh, point uh, is, is that when you, when you have the spotlight, you go with it. There's a quote from Napoleon who says that every single battle, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says every single battle, there's a moment in the battle, one moment 
when you need to throw your forces at the enemy and you can break them right there and win. And if you don't time it right and you wait too long, you will lose that momentum that you have. He was able to conquer Europe because he understood that in any confrontation, there's going to be one opening when you have the chance to completely destroy your enemy. This is DeSantis's chance. It's not going to be in 2028. No, I, so, okay, the same guy that said that also decided we should attack Russia in the winter. Trump is Russia in the winter. All right. So, so to use the paraphrase. I, I, I know we're getting off track, but but to to my point, you actually just proved my point because at the Battle of Borodino, the most important battle of the invasion of Russia, he had one opportunity at Borodino to deploy the Imperial Guard and crush the Russians, and he chose not to do it, and he ended up paying the ultimate price. I for think it. it's great that you think that would have been the end of it. I don't think it would have been the end of it. That's the whole point. The whole point is is that if you're going into a situation where you're not going to win, period which is, I believe, the situation for DeSantis right now. I think DeSantis is going into a nominating contest. He can't win. Now, maybe you think he can. Now, if you think he can, that's one thing. If you don't think he can, you're saying better to get second place right now and then run again after that. Well, that's I'm a lot saying, of work. I'm saying no. I'm saying you, you step back this time, right? You find a different way to stay in the, in the national consciousness, and you're already going to have that through the midterms. And then, oh, by the way, once you have it through the midterms, depending on what happens, that's when you announce and you went straight from governor to running for president. It's just now the, the so I do believe that you can't just say, well, it didn't happen for Chris Christie or it didn't happen for Jeb Bush when Jeb Bush and Chris Christie waited, you know, in an ordinary periods of time. And Chris Christie had a whole bunch of other issues. I think you have to look, you have to look at general categories, but then you also have to look at specifics of this particular race. And I do think DeSantis has a unique way to be able to do that where other candidates could not. I, I will concede that that is the general principle, but I will also tell you that I think that there are times where people push that, oh, no, no, now's your chance. And if you don't take it now, it's never going to come again. Yeah. And that doesn't always work out the way when, people When all it. the examples are heavily flawed people, like heavily flawed candidates, we all had issues with those people way beyond them waiting. That's it good. Was, Nick, I hope you were correct. I yeah. hope you were right. I don't know that we can trust the American people. Well, again, the other reason why I think the other reason why I think Trump will be the, the nominee on this one is because I think at some point DeSantis is really going to have to go through a I, I mean that's going to be a, a that is going to be a very very tough decision for him for all the reasons that Christian mentioned, I think for the reasons that the rest of us mentioned as well. But I, I think at some point he very well could come to the conclusion that now is not the time. And if he does that, that's over Trump Trump's the nominee. I don't think anybody else really stands a chance. Point five. Okay. This is the part where, again, I'm going <laughs> to reiterate this analytical hat, not what I necessarily want or would prefer just my analytical hat. Too many Republicans and too many Democrats want Trump to be the nominee, right? What that means is... I know where this is going. What that means is, is that we're, again, once again, we're assuming that Joe Biden will be the nominee. He's already said he's going to be the nominee. He's had prominent Democrats come out and say that. Nobody else is officially announced. And quite frankly, if you're not announcing pretty quick, you've, you've missed the mark anymore, right? People like Gavin Newsom and others, they're, they're waiting in the wings in case something happens. But there's a reason why they're not coming out and saying that they're going to... Uh, so we're assuming Biden. That means Democrats already have their candidate. So in all of the states where there are open primaries, do Democrats have a history of crossing over and attempting yes. to give money, assist, vote for, and select the Republican nominee? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, they do. There's no question that they do. We have proof of it. We have personal proof oh, yeah. of it. Okay. 
So the, the real question here then becomes, all right, now you may think that the Democrats that believe that are morons and that Trump's going to run roughshod over them. That doesn't matter. What matters is do Democrats believe that Trump is the easier candidate to beat? And it is, it is already clear based off of a lot of actions that there are many prominent Democrats yeah. that believe that and will act accordingly. Yeah. When you have a significant groundswell within the conservative base that already favors Trump combined with Democrats that would be willing to cross over in other ways support in order, he gets the nomination because at, at ultimately this comes down to votes and primaries. That's what this comes down to votes and primaries. Will Trump get them? Yes, I think he will. And I don't see anybody else that is going to be able to significantly challenge him in that. Um, and so I, that is point five on why I think he gets the nomination. Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, no, that point I agree with. And we yeah. have evidence of this. Um, in fact, Tina knows firsthand how devastating it can be when Democrats vote in Republican primaries. Yep. I don't I don't mean to bring that up to like no, it's revive, true. you know, sore wounds. We all went well, through and, that. And to give everyone the backdrop here, all right, when uh, Tina challenged a Republican uh, incumbent. In a 70% Republican district. In a 70% Republican district. And he was the, voting like a Democrat. Yeah, for the nomination. Um, and we saw, we saw Democrat committees. We're not even talking about like random Democrats. Democrat committees were posting out to their people on social media. So they weren't even all that concerned about hiding it. You need to show up and vote in the Republican primary because Emmett Hanger, that's, that was the incumbent, is as close as we'll ever get to a Democrat in, in this district. So they basically treat the primary as the general election. So they brand one person the Democrat and one person the Republican basically um, through a series of, of su support that they put out. And they send their folks that really care about that stuff out there. This is it. why Trump will end up winning Virginia, because we have an open primary system. If Virginia was was like a party canvas or it was a closed primary or whatever, DeSantis actually might might win the state. He would have a better shot. Trump I mean, barely won Virginia in 2016, but Virginia is an open primary system. And again, we've already seen evidence, as we talked about on this show, about how Democrats for better or for worse, correct or, or wrong, have made the decision Trump is the easier candidate to beat. Again, we've talked about how that- And they've been wrong before. Like, yeah. and, and they're again, notoriously but wrong about this. That doesn't actually matter, though. What matters is, is that they but have they decided, believe. they believe Trump is the easier candidate. Whether or not he is, is a whole other factor. I also ha happen to believe that he's the easier candidate to beat. But even if he's not, the fact is, is that they think he is. Yeah. And they're going to vote for him because they think he's going to be the easier guy for Joe Biden to, to vanquish. And so therefore, in states where Democrats have the ability to vote in Republican primaries, they're going to vote in Republican primaries and they're going to vote for Trump. That doesn't mean that Trump is going to win just off the backs of that. But when you add in 0. 0.4, 3, 2, and 1 also onto that, suddenly you've created a situation where I, I even though I fought with Nick on 0. 0.4, and even though I still think that DeSantis just needs to run, he, he just needs to run, Um. I, I do agree that, I mean, gun to my head, I think Trump is the nominee at the moment. But I will also say this. A year is a lifetime Long in time. politics. Long time. Anything could happen between now and Super Tuesday next year, right? And so do I think that, that Trump is more likely to win? Yes. Do I think Trump is guaranteed to win? No. Do sure. I think that that means that DeSantis should step aside and not run? Absolutely not. Well, and keep in mind, I'm not saying DeSantis should make this decision right now. I'm, I'm, I still think he should be in a holding pattern like he kind of currently is, but there will come a, there will come a point where you got to fish or cut bait 
And I, I guarantee you they're considering this right now. Like, do we continue to go along with what we're doing or do we? Now, I think he waits. I think he waits to kind of see how certain things hold out. And that's the smart thing to do. Because like Christian said, a year and a half and <laughs> that's an eternity. That's an eternity. We um, don't even know if the Democrats are going to nominate oh, Joe yeah. Biden a year or not. And from now. that brings us to our bonus round. All right. If Biden is, if, if Democrats suddenly recognize that Biden is, is not, not capable not of doing the job together there, right? <laughs> not altogether there. Um, and, and I think we've, we, I think everyone's kind of acknowledged at this point, right? And I don't expect Democrats to do it publicly. Like they need to back their guy. I, I get that. I really do. But I think even they recognize like, oh my gosh, like they've got to be like just sitting there kind of clutching pearls every time he gets up to speak. It's like, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? How are we going to have to explain it away? So one of the things I want to discuss are what are some of the other possible Democrats that are either waiting in the wings or people floating around as ideas that we think would, would, you know, could potentially win the Democrat nomination. I'm going to start and the, and the Betty nod suggests as well. I'm going to start that one of the most prominent ones is governor of California, Gavin Newsom. And can I just put out this plug right now? Um, speaking of crossing over and participating in others, others, primaries, if they honestly were going to have Gavin Newsom be there, I, please, please give us Gavin Newsom as your Democrat nominee for president. I would thoroughly how, enjoy How it. incredible would it be to have the state of California and the state of Florida <laughs> just <laughs> go at it? Two, two yeah. drastically different states. I have a fun fact for you. definitely no shortage of dirt on Gavin. I mean, Gavin's oh just a genuinely awful human being. Yeah, I've, I've got something that's actually quite stunning when you, when you think about it. Ron DeSantis won re-election by a greater margin than Gavin Newsom did. Wow. 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 Think about the political nature of Florida. It's a red-leaning state, but it's a close red-leaning state, right? Yeah, Trump, yeah, it's not Trump a, only won Florida by three points, yeah, right? It's not Idaho, people. <laughs> California is literally one of the bluest states yeah. in the country. Yeah. Like, the, the last time Democrats did not get 60% in a presidential level in California was, like, over a decade ago. Yeah. It, so, Florida... One of the historically most competitive swing states in the country that only recently has taken one step to the yeah. right versus California, which has been basically so far left. It's like hanging off the, yeah. the the West Coast of America in the middle of the Pacific right now. And yet DeSantis won reelection by a bigger margin than Gavin Newsom did. I mean, that really goes to show how deeply unpopular Gavin Newsom actually really is, if you think about it. Right. Yeah. He was guaranteed to win. Because it's just such a blue state. But like he massively underperformed yeah. the, the typical Democrat performance in California well, historically. And, and, and they, are, they are pushing policies in California. They're going to continue to have devastating effects from them from a business perspective, from an education perspective, from a crime perspective. They're leading the nation in net out migration yeah. to other states. The, what a great record to run on. Okay, I'm, I, I'm like, you know, like, like here's what Newsom should say. Gavin Newsom, if he runs for president and DeSantis is the nominee, all that Newsom needs to say is, is that, Governor, you wouldn't even be on this stage if it was for the work that I was doing <laughs> to elevate you to that position. Like, I, I mean, 
you want to talk about a contrast oh, yeah. between the way that California has been operating and the way that Florida has been operating. I mean, I would love as a Republican for yeah. us to have that. I want to backtrack just a second and address the whole Operation Chaos idea. <laughs> and if you wonder where I got that, look no further than Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh. Um, give, now, give the backstory for like 30 on, seconds. Real quick. For, That's what I'm for about people to that do. don't know. <laughs> so, um, but first, I want to say that Anytime you engage in trying to thwart another party's nomination, you've got to be very confident in the idea of that person being easy to beat. And here's where it really backfires. Back when Obama and Hillary were running against each other for the nomination, what year was that again? 2008. 2008. And so basically... Rush Limbaugh was out there on his syndicated radio show telling people, engage in Operation Chaos. Go change your voter registration in in areas where it's by party. You have to put in your voter. Uh, Virginia is, you do not put in your voter, your uh, Political political affiliation. But like in other states, you do. And so go switch to... Democrat and vote for Obama because we can beat Obama, but we can't beat Hillary. Oh, gosh. And that is what he pushed people to do. And so it was called Operation Chaos, and he was pushing that hard. And there were plenty of people that did engage in that and gave us Obama, who he thought would be easy to beat, and ended up completely being wrong and he won by a landslide. I mean, I would argue that whoever the Democrats had nominated in 2008 were guaranteed to win because we nominated John McCain and the entire economy disintegrated. Okay, but that's like not the point. Three weeks before the election. The <laughs> point is he thought he was deciding that yeah. Obama would be easier to beat than Hillary well, because of name recognition and everything else. And he was wrong. So what I'm saying is don't do that. All right, so don't do it. We got a couple. There's other reasons to not do that as well. So Gavin is here's another one, right? <laughs> if there, if it was possible for them to pick someone worse than Gavin Newsom for the top of the ticket, it would be Kamala Harris, what, former what? Attorney but General of California. I don't think she could do it unless. Uh, this is if Biden is. If Biden yeah. said no, I'm not going to run again. Then she could, we're, but she wouldn't we're, run we're against him. We're just talking about. We're just, we're we're, already, right. we're acknowledging. Real Biden's quick, not the nominee. Why who, is she nowhere to be seen? Well, because I don't think it's good for anybody. <laughs> well, that and like... Who, who, wait, wait a second. Republicans don't want to see her. Democrats don't want to see her. The vice, president doesn't want okay, to see her. Okay, this is always what vice presidents do, though. Like, vice presidents always take a back seat to everything. Unless they they're really Teddy do. Roosevelt. I yeah. don't know. I think she would want the spotlight. Oh, she does. But, but the, the, the Democrats don't want to give it to her because yeah, they because don't want every, to be stuck with her. Every yeah. time she has the spotlight, she'll, she goes... <laughs> yeah, yeah. She goes I've, I've thought conspiratorially that potentially they've been keeping her in the back seat so that her persona isn't damaged by damaged and that she would have the possibility of running no because every time she's out there she's like you know planes are good planes fly in the sky and planes (laughs) land on the ground and planes transport people this is how her speeches go she doesn't need joe biden to damage her persona like she does it enough for her so we got we got two more to go through real quick and then i gotta wrap this up so the other one is the other one that it keeps getting thrown out there is pete Buttigieg. And I, I think that Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg originally was someone they liked because they thought he was kind of like a nicer version, and you know that he could he could build some sort of consensus. He's I think worse was, than Kamala I think, Harris. I think what we found, especially <laughs> after the the train crash and everything else, is that th- this guy is this. <laughs> 
this guy is always where his, his, his stock has performed much higher than his PE ratio, right? Like he's not actually, he's not actually generating any revenue or profit. They just keep bumping him up. And at this point, it, I, I don't, I don't think he's, it's a bubble, the booty judge yeah, bubble. The Buttigieg and, bubble. Like, like, uh, yeah. That, now there's he, one other name. One of the name that has been thrown out that, that I, I actually that I do think we think, could not beat no matter who we put her I, I, put up against, and her. that's Michelle Obama. And the reason why is because everybody else we've listed so far has some sort of record to point to, some sort of record to point to. Michelle's and just she hoping change. Not. She's just hoping change, just like Obama. Yeah, she, well, she's that inspirational character. She would be a, a first female president, first black female president. Like she, she would she checks off. All of all of like the, the the intersectional boxes yep. that she's they would well want, spoken. and and she's seen as being nice and not yep. not divisive, even though her policies are horribly divisive. Right. Like that, let's not let's not sugarcoat this. Just because the media has created this persona of Michelle, and because she's been able to separate herself from controversial stuff by just being nice and focusing on school yeah. lunches, doesn't the, mean the she's only, not the only policy item that anyone can point to that she you know, had a hand in and failed at was school lunches and everybody hates their school lunches now and they're oh. awful. Well, but. so I, I think what this comes down to is like Democrats do like, look, as much as we talk about Republican and finding stuff like let's not forget Democrats do not have a great bench. They just don't. No, they if, don't. if you're having to go back to like two former first ladies ago to try to find somebody that, that might be able to run without offending, you know, half the nation. And who, by the way, the moment Michelle got into a campaign and had to start taking hard positions on stuff, um, because again, she would have to run. R remember her husband sat up there and said, he believed the marriage was between one man and one woman. Right. And so it, she would be competing in a very, very different universe where now she has to say, well, of course men can breastfeed. Right. Like, so it, we'd find out real quick that the, the whole, you know, pass that she gets for never having to stake out a really difficult position would go away almost immediately. But she would enter the race with a whole lot of goodwill that no other, I think, Democrat candidate or Republican candidate for that matter would enter the race with. All right. So mm -hmm. there's some other possible alternatives to Joe Biden. I'm going to wrap this all up right now. What is the argument? So I'm going to give the argument for what we just made on why I believe Trump is going to win the nomination. I think, A, the indictment puts Trump in an incredibly sympathetic position, not just with the Republicans, but with a lot of people that believe this is a drastic overreach. Plus, it puts his opponents in a position where they have to praise him, right? That's what you see. Trump is trashing DeSantis at the same time DeSantis is defending Trump. That's a pretty powerful position to be in. Step two was the the desire for a rematch. There are too many people within the Republican Party that desperately want to see a rematch. Plus, I think there's Democrats that would love to be able to shut up those Republicans once and for all by proving that, you know, Biden didn't steal it. Biden beat him because he beat him. Twice. I think they want to see that. So and, and not only that, but this is the only time that the rematch can happen. I think too many people want it for it to not be a thing. Three was Trump is a street fighter. Campaigning has become about street fighting, and the bottom line is is it, it puts other Republican candidates in a position where if they're not willing to really go after and hammer Trump, right, they're going to look weak. And the bottom line is if you're hammering Trump right now, you look like a tool of the establishment or a tool of the Democrats because Trump is facing all of this animosity and all of this hatred and all of this institutional backlash, and here you are contributing to it. I just don't think anybody comes out well in, in that matchup. Part four is the only challenger that really has um, a chance against Trump, Ron DeSantis. It, it, theoretically, whether or not you believe it, he is in the best possible position to wait if he had to. Now, some people might say that, you know, Christian gave a good argument for why he thinks he can't wait. Hamilton did the same thing. I'm saying that he could theoretically pull it off. I don't think a lot of other people could, and nobody else really stands a chance. So I, I think that's the position. And then finally, 
when it, this all comes down at the end to how many votes do you get in state primary challenges, state conventions, things like that. I think that Trump has the most loyal base that will show up no matter what. I think he also has people on the other side that for whatever reason, and I think they're, they could be me. I think Democrats might be making a very dangerous calculation and thinking that Trump's the, the easiest one to, to beat. But nevertheless, I think they've made that calculation. I think that they will get involved in primaries. And I think, you know, again, when it comes down to how many votes you get, Trump's going to Trump has the most loyal voting bids. Plus he has people willing to cross over vote for him for those five reasons. I think Trump gets the nomination now, whether or not he wins the general, that is a very different question. A year and a half in politics is an eternity. We don't ultimately know who the nominee is going to be. And so we'll have to wait and see on that one. But I hope I've at least provided a fairly strong argument for why I'm coming again. Not everyone here agrees with me at the table. And I'm sure that they will find the error of their ways in the future. But for right now, that's the argument. Once again, thank you for joining us. Let us know what you think of our analysis and what, and what your predictions are for the eventual outcome of the Republican nomination. I'm Nick Freitas for Making the Argument, and we'll see you next episode.